The most loving act you can do is to feed somebody. The nature of our body and our condition, our human condition, is that we need food to live. So when you feed somebody, you're saying, be here with us, stay here with us. To me, it's just like the most beautiful expression of love. I felt fulfilled in my expression as a chef. But there was some part of me that felt like maybe it's not the highest expression or the highest gift that I have to give. And I didn't know what that means. There might be something more, but I don't know what it is. Ayahuasca asked me if I was ready to embrace my spiritual gifts and stop running from them. And I knew exactly what she meant because I had always felt that I had a gift and I was running from it. Everybody has voting power with their dollars. So if you recognize that and you make more conscious choices and you don't let manufacturers get away with putting toxic ingredients in your food, exercising your power of choice and recognizing that every time you make a purchase, you're voting with your dollar. Good morning. It's a fantastic pleasure to be back for a new episode of the one-on-one -on -one podcast. And today I have the privilege, honor, and pleasure to welcome Nicole Dersway. Uh, she's based in Los Angeles, California, and uh, she has a fascinating story. As you can see, well, on the podcast, you won't be able to see, but she's a chef. She's an author. Okay, let me rephrase. She's a celebrity chef. She's a best-selling book <laughs> author. And she's a healer. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really nice. <laughs> How do you link the three of them, chef, author, and healer? Oh, you know, it's been a very interesting uh, path. But I uh, started as a chef. And interesting enough, my coming into the culinary arts was a part of my healing journey. Uh, it, not to bring everyone down, but I'll just sum it up really quickly. I was um, I was going to school for business, mm -hmm. and um, useless. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I was studying business and uh, had my first love of my life in college, and it was really beautiful. And sadly, we got into a car accident, and Ooh. he was in a car seventeen years. And um, this is how I lost the first love of my life. And at that time, I was um, almost finished with the business program. I was through my junior year, and I couldn't focus. I was on campus. I was in class. I was, um, you know, obviously dealing with the heaviness mm -hmm. of this person. I love being in a coma, not knowing if he was going to wake up. And I started to perform pretty badly in my business program. And this was very different for me because I was used to getting like, you know, really high marks and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a professor that pulled me aside and said, hey, sweetie, why don't you go do something artistic to heal your heart? Uh, this is not you. This is not fair. Like you need to just go take care of yourself and come back, finish business degree if you want later. And I took her advice and uh, she, you know, asked me if anything I was interested in. I said, well, 
always been kind of interested in food, you know, like grandma was an incredible chef and maybe I'll go to culinary school. Mm -hmm. So I went to Cordoba to heal my heart and um, it was beautiful. It was a heart healing journey. I was out of the business program and I was doing something creative that commanded all of my focus and attention. You know, if you start daydreaming about something outside of the moment when you're not present with food, mm -hmm. things go like, you know, everything gets ruined. So mm -hmm. it was really was bringing me fully in the present moment and um i was doing really well at it and uh it, it was a really beautiful journey so yeah that's how i got into the shopping and um when i came to la it was really nice i started getting opportunities to uh work with um you know at first i became uh, david wolf um uh sous chef and um was working with him doing these private parties in the palisades and mm -hmm. i got really into Inspired by that, I was like, "Wow, you know, I can kind of do my own thing, actually." And I started producing these pop-up events off of Abikini in Venice Beach, which is a really popular street. It's like the mm -hmm. most like high street in Venice Beach, and they had a a venue there where chefs could rent the venue for the night and create their own menu. And it's like a restaurant takeover. And so, I was producing these like five-course tasting menus, and I was reserving one ten top for influencers to come for free. Mm -hmm of their reach i was getting brands to kind of sponsor some of the product to offset and i did um produce at an event every single month for the first year um and that's how i built up my following as a chef and became known in the in the city and um you know i also working in a very specialized area of food where i'm doing not only plant-based but plant-based whole foods and um very niche and uh i'm in the exact city that loves this niche they yes. love this niche yeah. <laughs> indeed yeah there's other places where maybe i wouldn't have thrived because they would have been like what she doesn't even put gluten in anything yeah. get her out but uh i was in the right place and i was doing the right thing and so i got really lucky i got to work for some uh celebrities eventually trey parker Obi, Alicia Silverstone, the Prince of Indonesia. Like I, I, I was able to have this really amazing opportunities because I, the city I was in and the niche in which I was working. So it was really exciting. And um, as time went on, the natural progression of me not only being a chef, but being a chef that was on camera started to happen. I started getting these opportunities to create food on camera and be an on-camera personality and... Um, uh, working side by side, eventually went on to win some competition shows. I mm -hmm. was on the cooking channel, and I also just recently was on Peel, the first yes. ever all vegan. Yes, and uh, that was amazing, and and it led me to be an author. Obviously, I was um, offered this. Um, a publishing house came to me and asked me specifically they to write this book, vegan ketogenic diet book, mm -hmm. which at the time. Maybe there was one book that was published at that time. This was before the pandemic um, when this book concept came by. Uh, people didn't even know you can do it. I mean, there were people that were vegan for maybe a decade who left veganism to go do keto. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew that you could do both. And actually, there was incredible health benefits of doing keto, but with plant-based diet. And um, I loved this challenge. I threw myself into writing this book. It was amazing and um, it was incredible. And, and we were scheduled for this amazing book tour. And of course, the pandemic hit. So, uh, you know, the book tour was canceled. We were supposed to come out in Barnes and Noble and that got paused. And yes. um, yeah, it was okay, though. Everything worked out actually for my benefit because 
although I didn't go on a tour, this, you know, glamorous like, book signing tour I thought I was going to go on, uh, instead, everybody was at home and everybody was cooking and everybody was very concerned about their health. Yes. So what looked like a tragedy was actually blessing in disguise for this for this book because, I mean, people were at home. The book became available on Amazon and you could buy it online at mm -hmm. Target. And people were loving this book and they were cooking from home and they were... Um, you know, finding a way not to gain the pandemic 20 by <laughs> eating this. Maybe they already gained the pandemic 20 and they wanted to like, you know, reverse it. But it's a it's a great way to eat that's anti-inflammatory. And um, mm -hmm. really surprised that like eventually I had some nurses and medical professionals reaching out to me and I spoke on the um, prostate cancer awareness board these different people because uh, it's an anti-inflammatory way to eat and like, you know, cancer, for example, is an inflammatory disease. Mm -hmm. Yes. By putting people on this diet, they, there, there was nurses and doctors that were finding this like super supportive. Um, I even had one nurse reaching out to me that's working with Alzheimer's patients and he said it was helping the Alzheimer's patients like recover some of their cognitive ability. And it, it was just like amazing to be a part of. So we, we got we got the chef part. We got the author part. Yeah. And the healer part the comes healer in part. because, yes, you know, I am doing this very niche type of food. Mm -hmm. And I'm in L.A. and there's this new wave of spirituality and uh plant medicine ceremonies and stuff it's kind of around here you know especially if you go into topanga um mm. i thought that you know, this used to be in northern california in the 60s and the 70s yes and i feel like the movement has trickled down here okay. and we have a big movement in topanga canyon mm -hmm. it's like the epicenter of la and people coming from all over the world to have some of these experiences in Topanga Canyon, which in its own right is a magical canyon. Like mm -hmm. if you just drive through Topanga Canyon, it is just, it's right up against where Malibu hits the ocean and you're mm -hmm. cutting in through these beautiful trees and uh, they have these incredible hikes with these labyrinths. It's it's an it's amazing magical place. Mm -hmm. Anyways, there was, um, uh, I was, I was, you know, I was in LA. I was dating casually, like here and there, like looking. For, I was went on a couple of dates with somebody who happened to be a meditation coach, mm -hmm. and was, he was a sweet guy, but it wasn't my uh, my match. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he let me know, like a, we came, we became friends, and like a year later, he he calls me and he's like, you know, it's like a Wednesday, and he's like, Nicole. I have a gig for you this weekend. Do you want to cater this uh, ceremony? And I was like, yeah, I don't have a gig this weekend. I want to cater the ceremony. What's the deal? He was like, we said ayahuasca ceremony. And they lost their chef. And the, cer the ceremony starts on Friday. It's like a whole weekend retreat. And, and there's all these rules about what can be cooked. But I know you can do it. Mm -hmm. In the rules, it's like no garlic, no onions, no spices, no fun. I was like, okay, I get it. Really, really, really clean. Um, and I, I was up for the challenge. I, I was like, you know what? Okay, it's a challenge. Let's do it. And I was determined to make it amazing for this group. What did you cook? What did you come up with for that? For that, because it, the, as you were saying, the rules are so strict. What was the? You remember what was the first meal you you, you prepared? I do. I do. Um, I, so I was told that when you're. So I also had never done ayahuasca, so yes. I didn't know what to, in the mood for the next day. And they will have be coming off of a twenty four hour fast when the first time mm -hmm. that I'm going to feed. And also a life-altering spiritual journey. So what is appropriate, right? Um, and they will also, on top of that, be taking the medicine the following night. So whatever I fed them the first day had to be easy to digest. Yes, they have to um, keep it for the next day. 
has to replenish their body and they have to be uh, digested quickly. So I, I created a macrobiotic menu. Um, it was kind of Japanese inspired and I, the concept was everything was going to be digestible. So I served them a really beautiful miso soup broth. I mm-hmm. figured if anybody was just at least they could sip the broth and yes. miso food, they could get some power back in their body. And um, I did um, this um, incredible broccoli salad that was like, you know, marinated with like some ponzu sauce. And um, I made this a gomae. Um, which a lot of people don't know, but um, there, there, there is some Japanese tradition of serving gomae to um, postpartum women mm-hmm. um, to right back because you, let's say, steam 10 pounds of spinach and you condense it down, condense it down and, and form it into these little tiny bites. Yes. Um, very nutritionally dense and it's done with like a sesame sauce on top which makes it delicious i mean you could trick even a picky like three-year-old into eating spinach if you cook it this way yeah so i was serving them golaye and this like broccoli salad and the miso and i did a roasted kabocha squash uh, with like a really special sauce on it and and yeah people were happy wow. I mean, it was clean and simple and easy to digest sounds and, yummy uh, yeah it was simple delicious. but yummy you know simple not that simple to do but you know Yummy. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of became the MO for this journey with the um, ayahuasca circles, cooking things that were like simple but delicious. And I also had my first experience with the medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Like, Nicole, you're welcome to partake with us if you like. And I kind of took it as a sign from the universe because I had known about ayahuasca, but I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't know how people were having this experience yes. outside of flying through. It, I, it just didn't uh, come into my sphere. And so since it did, I thought, oh, it's a sign, maybe. So I did. I did I did partake one one night in the ceremony and it was a really beautiful experience. It's a really opening and I released a lot of um old trauma. It felt overall like a very healing experience and, and then it was really beautiful. At the end of the ceremony, the shaman comes to me upstairs and he just says, So are you on the team or what? And I was like, <laughs> I guess I did a good job. Um, and I was so honored. I said, yes, I'm on the team. And uh, I worked in his ceremony every month for the next six years. Wow. Um, it, and then I started working with his first apprentice once she graduated and she had her ceremony. So for four of those years, I was in two ceremonies per month. And it was really nice because it was a regular gig that I could count on it, with a group of people that I really like loved and resonated mm-hmm. with. They're speakers. They're wanting to do the work. They're self-reflective. And um, it was expanding me as a chef because of the limitations of the diet were forcing me to be more creative and expansive. I was in the space for a while and they invited me to start coming as a guardian as well as a chef to take care of people uh, through the night and to make sure that they're safe on their journey and, and held. Sometimes people just need someone to hold their hand or somebody to help walk them to the restroom mm-hmm. or whatever there is a supporting role. And in that, these healer gifts started opening up. And um, it really wasn't until the top of the pandemic. So I had served from, for, for several years as a, as the chef and also guardian. But at the top of the pandemic, um, I we had a ceremony um, just for the team. Mm-hmm. And the idea of new society was going into this very challenging time. Uh, let's create an intention and sit with the medicine and see what wisdom 
the, the, the plant allies have for us. And uh, I had a really powerful ceremony where Ayahuasca asked me if I was ready to embrace my spiritual gifts and stop running from them. And I knew exactly what she meant because I had always felt that I had a gift and I was running from it. I always saw these healers that were like physically like overweight and black circles and sick. And like you hear they're a powerful healer, but they're sick. And my understanding of that was that they were taking on the energy of the clients. And so maybe they were helping people, but they themselves were not flourishing and not healthy. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't interested in this, you know. And it, uh, there was times that I felt energy coming to me. The, the sensation was almost as if uh, a puppy pawing at your ankle. Yes. And I see this energy like this pawing at me, and I would remove myself, you know? And I felt it was intensified in water. We have uh, Korean spas here in LA. And sometimes I would be in the hot water, the mugwort bath, and a woman would come to enter and her energy, I'm an empath, right? So I feel this, her energy would feel so strong. I would feel nauseous. I would get out of the water immediately. Like I could not even be in the water with this, uh, with, with some people. Mm -hmm. And so I was running from this gift. Did you know why you were running away from the gift? Uh, just because I was scared. I was scared that um, I knew that energy was coming to me in a way because it knew I could help. But I was afraid that this energy was going to get stuck in my body and I'm going to become sick. Okay, because you saw the other healers with, with, with those symptoms, basically. Yes, so I, I just was too scared. During that period, before you accepted the gift, yeah, were you content with your life and the things you were doing? Or there was something missing? Yeah, you know, I would say there was something missing for sure. I felt... I felt fulfilled in my expression as a chef, but there was some part of me that felt like maybe it's not the highest expression or the highest gift that I have to give. And I didn't know what that means. Mm -hmm. I just, there might be something more, but I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, it's a good question. So I was kind of running from this. And so I asked Ayahuasca, you know, the, the, when I was in the plant, the, the voice was asking me, do you want to face it and I will help you? And I said, yeah, I'm ready to face it. And um, ayahuasca, she kind of, you know, I'm saying she because they say it's a feminine plant and it mm -hmm. has a feminine. So when I'm in the experience, it's almost like she's talking to me like a big sister. I feel this yes. like feminine. And so uh, she says, okay, well, we're going to start on a very t challenging topic. So that way, uh, when I'm not with you, you're not going to be intimidated. And she explained to me that I am an energetic channel, that I can transmute energy for individuals or for the collective. And that tonight we were going to do um, transmutation of energy for the collective. And the topic was universal sexual trauma. That's a good, uh, simple start <laughs> on a light note. <laughs> yeah, like very advanced start. Okay, but she explained why. So I won't be afraid when I'm alone. Yes. So I said, okay. Let's go. And I start seeing images of sexual trauma around the world in different countries, in different cultures, women being stoned, like uh, like uh, child abuse, like all this stuff flashing, 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 flashing um, throughout time, throughout history, throughout mm -hmm. different cultures. 
I'm feeling it somatically in my body. I'm sure on the outside, if you looked over at me, you would think, oh my God, this girl's having an exorcism. Because I, my body was just like, ah, and I was screaming and making all this noise. And there, the images were just flashing. And it kept moving and moving and moving. And my hands were flying up and they were making these um, symbols and doing these things. Mm. I never Reiki or anything like that, but it was as if I did. Like the the body was automatically doing, yes, moving, and it kept going. And eventually, the sounds coming out of my voice became a crystalline, like angelic, uh, uh, like just a crystalline sound. And I knew then when the sound started transmitting to this crystalline type of uh, frequency that we were um, getting to the end of this clearing. And but but this was long. So at this time, it's now was the morning. You know, we started the process at like 9 p.m. And now the sun was coming up and I just wrapped myself in a blanket and I went and walked in the neighborhood that had beautiful gardens in this neighborhood with flowers and stuff. And it was like a brand new day. It was like a brand new me. I understood how the gift worked and my channel was open. And thank God it was a pandemic because for the next three months, three to six months, I would say, I would be alone in my apartment and I would feel collective energy coming to me, like asking to be cleared. And I would end up on my back for like, you know, two hours doing this process. And that was my um, healer's awakening process. And eventually when I got back, when, when we were allowed to start doing ceremonies again, when the pandemic settled down a little bit, we were doing it very carefully. We were testing people and, um, started holding ceremonies again, I started being able to do this energy work for uh, the participants that were coming into the ceremonies. And I uh, was doing it mostly philanthropically at first and, and just working with people. And, you know, you have to get over your imposter syndrome because it's like, it's kind of like coming out as an X-Men. I'm an X-Men. Like, I've got special powers. Like, it's kind of yes. a heart own. But when you realize, like, it just something that's moving through me and you see enough people have this like very powerful and positive experiences at some point you're like who are you not to own your gifts you came yeah. to share them and people deserve to uh have you in your power like you playing small is not really helping anyone yes. just just one thing about the ayahuasca uh, yeah that that experience on you worked out that way because you were ready totally yeah so when people are hearing this, they will probably be thinking, oh, this is probably something that I need to do, etc. But it's not as simple as that. It's not to just do that and you start, you know, seeing things and changing your life, etc. There has to be something before that, a, a getting prepared for that moment, whatever that moment's going to be like. Yes, 100%. I, I think for me, you know, I, I had done a lot of work because mm -hmm. I have some comp from my um, childhood if you look at it it's totally like a healer's path like the, the things that I survived and went through but there was a lot of work that went into myself before that you know therapy mm -hmm. and meditation and going on solo travel and to kind of find myself my own eat pray love journey mm -hmm. and this gift it didn't open the first time that I engaged in ayahuasca uh, this was many, many years in when I had already had many um, journeys where I was also working with a therapist afterward for integration mm -hmm. and these um, journeys that were about processing the trauma that had happened in my childhood and like other things. And I was getting 
stronger and more healed with each iteration until the point where I was actually ready for this opening to happen. I I think if it would have happened a year before, I wouldn't probably be able to handle it maybe, you know? Is Is the Martha project linked to that you were able to do that because you 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 had that new mission coming out and we'll talk in a second about what the martha project is but did it happen afterwards the martha project happened right before that and interesting enough the day day that i had the opening we had just served uh 300 people that same day and then i went into the medicine and actually that day that we served people was um, the first time in the field where actually something uh, kind of uh, dangerous happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was very interesting. Yeah, like happy to share that whole story. So the Martha Project is is your nonprofit to bring vegan food to the homeless of Los Angeles. Uh, yes. And you served about 10,000 meals uh, through a project. Um, yes. You think it was a coincidence that you it was you know you did that the same day and then afterwards you went into the into the uh, ayahuasca part was that you, you you see a link there somehow uh, yeah i think it was perfect especially the type of experience that we had because like you said we've served over 10,000 meals and in this 10,000 meals nothing ever has gone wrong like it has been beautiful and um it has been a beautiful journey um that day when we were serving we came down this street and a fight was breaking out between two houseless members and they were combating each other and it was very scary because one of them was much larger than the other one Mm -hmm. and we had him picked up thought oh my god something terrible is gonna happen here uh this man could die It, it was really scary and why i wasn't scared i don't know i jumped out of the car with so much confidence and i said hey we have burritos. <laughs> we have beautiful burritos. And we cannot serve them unless it's going to be peaceful. But if you guys can come to peace, we're going to, everybody going to get an incredible burrito. It's amazing, this burrito. I'm hoping this burrito. <laughs> burrito is the word of peace. <laughs> yes. And I just was projecting this like very strong energy, like, 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 like they have to stop. And I made my arms really big and I yes. was trying. The other volunteers were hiding in the car, which is what I told them to do if there's ever any vibe. Like, they were doing the right thing. But I, for some reason, was like, this burrito's going to fix everything. And it's so funny because uh, this elder man that was part of this houseless encampment was on the end. And when he saw it, he did that old school thing. You put your fingers in your mouth and you do that like big whistle. I can't do it. But that whistle, like, you know, like a really loud whistle, like when you're a kid where you yes, know. Yes, yes. And um, he said, he did the whistle and he said, hey. Everybody settle down. You're blocking your blessings. You're blocking your blessings. Sit down. And they listened to him. And these two men went from full-on fighting to letting go. They went to opposite ends of the encampment. And we came by and we we handed out all these burritos. We said, you know, we love you guys. We're thinking of you. Like, we hope this brings you peace. You know, this is made from scratch. And we put blessings in it. Like, we're sending you guys love. And they sat ends and they ate their burritos. And it was peaceful. But it's interesting because that happened and I came into ceremony and I was shooken up. And now I'm thinking about taking a very powerful psychedelic. And I was like, wow, I have this violence in my subconscious and now I'm going to go into this medicine, right? Oh my goodness. Is this a good idea? I I don't know. 
So when the journey first started, before Ayahuasca started sharing me up, um, about opening my gift, yes, I had a meditation, and the meditation was beautiful. In the meditation, I saw myself going back to that encampment now at night, and I whistled, mm -hmm. and the inner child of all of the houseless people that were in that encampment floated out of their body and started following me down the street. I had a soccer ball. We were singing, and it was the inner children of the houseless people all following me. And we were making our way through the city, and we got all the way to this very famous Griffith Observatory, which is a very famous mm -hmm. place. It's on the hill here. People go to look at the stars, to look at the whole city, but there's a beautiful grass knoll. And all the children came and they laid down on the grass knoll and they looked up at the stars and in the stars there was this fairies dancing for them and they um, and they fell asleep on the top of the hill in peace. And this visualization gave me uh, closure about what was the trauma that happened earlier that day and that happened before I went into the yes. other part where wow. my... Okay, the one that you mentioned before. What is what is what is absolutely you know, fascinating hearing you is that that centeredness is so crucial in your life, and what you're expressing afterwards through your food, through your nonprofit, is is always related to that core that you have that you found, if, I'm, if I if I understand yeah. correctly, and everything revol revolves around it. And food yes. being your way of expression for, for that and how you are doing this. Um, totally. You thought you would go to that place like this, that you would arrive at such a place like that, or it was always a kind of trial and error until you, you, you found, you found your, your center. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's like I was centered. Actually, when I was younger, and like a lot of things happened and kind of knocked me off my center for a while. And it's almost like I rediscover my equilibrium. And I think when I would find things that work, I would cling to them. You okay. know, I, I remember the first things that I found way before I got into plant medicine was a Kundalini yoga. This came into my life at the end of a really tragic breakup uh, where unfortunately I was in um, an abusive relationship where I was being um, was with a narcissist I was being uh, psychologically abused and um, the psychological abuse creates a chemical imbalance in the brain because it's a pulling in pushing out and uh, it creates a chemical codependency on your abuser so oftentimes when survivors finally get away they feel worse instead of better and it's because they're basically going through a, a, a process of withdrawal, yes. chemical withdrawal. And uh, once I came to understand that, I learned that Kundalini Yoga is very good um, for rebalancing the chemistry of the brain. And I said, well, let's see if it works. So I went to one and then it was so helpful that I clung to that, right? So then I'm now I'm all of a sudden from never hearing the word Kundalini, I'm in Kundalini class like, you know, four times a week because uh, I felt that it worked. And, and that's my thing. It's like, I don't always know the answer. It's been a trial and error. But when something works, I I go for it. You know, yeah. when I find it's working for me, I go for it. Yeah. What is, what is, what is, what is, what is crazy in a way is that 
losing oneself sometimes it's it's linked to you trying to conform to society or what you know people tell you to do and 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 you know the path to follow to become successful or happy or whatever you know they put around this and you start to realize that in your you, in your pursuit you are going through that because you think this is what you need to to do to you know to 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 flourish and everything like that but it's not you it's it's it doesn't click with you and and that unhappy i mean i went through that to that process as as well and you realize after a certain amount of time that this is not right for me but to be able to realize it to ask yourself the questions to over realizing this and afterwards to actually do the steps to get out of this wow right that's <laughs> complicated i know life is fascinating <laughs> yes. you believe in fate in fate yes in an interesting way. So my concept of fate is that I believe in the eternal nature of our soul. Mm -hmm. And I feel that before we come here and we become embodied on this soul's journey, uh, we create this soul contract. You know, like, okay, we're checking boxes. I'm going to have this experience and this trauma here to trigger me in this way for my high step. This, and yes. I'm going to meet up with this person. Time and they're going to trigger me in this way so we're both going to grow it's amazing actually we're going to think we're enemies but really we're just each other's heroes and uh, I, I think in I think of fate in that sense that I feel like we have these soul contracts that we kind of like link up and, and agree to before we come here and fate is just our observation of them playing out we say oh it was fate you know yeah yeah I get that I get that and Ooh. I don't know but yes. I believe it feels right to me to uh, con conceptualize it that way yeah for you food is 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 a is a way of expressing all of these in a sense uh you became vegan um i'm not going to go into the reasons everyone that have their own reasons and i totally respect that but the, you you became vegan uh you wrote this book about uh vegan ketogenic uh diet you have a show coming up fingers yeah. crossed uh on on food and and the cultures and traditions Food seems to play that that central part in your in your life, and everything is is you have your centeredness, which is who you are and what you do, and food is the medium for you to actually express that. Totally, yeah. I I think food is so important. Um, you know, I I say this often, but I think the most loving act you can do is to feed somebody. Mm -hmm. because the nature of our body and our condition, our human condition, is that we need food to live. So when you feed somebody, you're saying, be here with us, stay here with us. I'm nourishing your life. I'm, I'm asking you to stay here with us. And so to me, it's just like the most beautiful expression of love. And um, it's that simple. But it is the cornerstone of everything. It's uh, it's it's the nourishment of our life. And it's incredible how varied it can be expressed, you know, from mm -hmm. something as crazy as, you know, what seems crazy to me is like fast food establishment, you know, McDonald's yes. or something like that, to something that actually can be a medicine. And um, I learned this art from my grandma. She's the reason that's why I named my nonprofit after her. Um, the Martha Project. The Martha Project, yeah. yeah in her, um, she really indoctrinated me with her philosophy around food at a young age. Her food was amazing. She was expressing her love through food. 
if you come into her house, I mean, she's a Southern woman. So first thing she's going to say is, you look thin, let me feed you. <laughs> so, it's you LA. Know, what do you expect? <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's at the opposite. It's either you're obese or you're super thin <laughs> and oh, <yeah>. healthy <laughs> and toned. In her eyes, you're always thin, no matter who uh, you okay, are. You okay. look, she wants to feed you. But she was amazing. And, and you know, she always had this concept in her kitchen that it's a peaceful kitchen. Uh, if there's any people bickering or something, she'd be like, you don't do this in the kitchen. Like, get them out. The kitchen always had soft music. She was mostly barefoot, you know, in like mm -hmm. a kimono, like some moo-moo type of thing. Mm -hmm. And she was never using tongs um, or these things. She was always hand-tossing the food. Mm. Better. I said, it was beautiful, but I was like, Grandma, you know, when I was young, why, why you don't use the tongs? Why you're like hand-tossing the food? And she just was like, sweetie, you have to touch the food. That's mm -hmm. how you infuse oh, love yes. in it. And she knew that. And she knew that we are an energetic uh, creature and that you could bless food with uh, with the power of your intention. And, you know, we've seen this now. You know, the scientists, they take the water droplets under the microscope and they curse that one and they bless the other. And we see how different. And most of our food is mostly made of water and we are mm -hmm. mostly made of so it's really easy to see that, you know, she was right. And um, she was always blessing the food and putting her love and intention into the food. And so this was like, you know, edible love spells, really, that we were having as kids. And um, her food really felt like that. Every time I ate her food, it's like I had I was digesting a hug. You know, it was like an edible hug. a nice feeling. Oh, it was so good. And then... and. Um, yeah, it just really informed my concept of food and and, uh, and 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 really understanding it as an expression of love and a vehicle for connection. Yeah, because the, the, when you're working with the, the Martha Project to, to bring uh, food to the homeless, you don't have to. At the end no. of the year, you don't have to. But the, the reason you're doing it, that, that there's a drive, there's something that that you know all the, the ethos that you have and the values that you have and the core that you have brings you to to that place. It it takes so much time, effort, and energy as a nonprofit to 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 do that. You just don't do that just you know for the show. You do it because there's a the heart is there. Yeah. Not, not yeah. everyone does that. Yeah, I, I know, and it's that's true, and and um, you know. It's interesting the moment that the Martha Project came to me. Mm -hmm. um, I had a really uh, the Martha Project was very casual before the pandemic. We were uh, it was started, but it was just gonna be uh, for holidays, you yes. know. And every once in a while, just a way for my community to give back. It wasn't like a big thing. And then at the top of the pandemic happened, we had the shutdown. Uh, I have a close neighbor who's friend who lives very close by and a close a couple of our close friends we came. It's like three of us we met and you know, we were sad, we were comforting each other and it was a scary time. We end up falling asleep there in, in his living room, all just sleeping together and um was so grateful that we had that love and each other to lean on. And so I was walking back to my house in the morning and I had my earphones on and um I forget the name of this artist, but uh, that song Lean on me when you're not strong. Man. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. That song came on. Yes. And I was like, Oh, yes. Like, Who oh, was that? Yes. It'll come to me. I, I'm listening to Otis this. Otis Redding? Like, oh. Yes, Otis Redding. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Lean on yes. me, right? Yes. So this 
song comes on and it's beautiful and I'm like, I'm feeling so like, despite the scary circumstances we're in at the top of this pandemic, I'm feeling like, oh, like I have my friends, we're going to lean on each other, we're going to all be okay. It's amazing. And I'm in this like golden bubble of light, right? With these positive thoughts. And I look down and this is a street where there's usually not any houseless people. It's like this nicer neighborhood in the West Hollywood. I look down and there's a houseless man and his head is on the concrete. I mean, he doesn't even have a blanket or a pillow. His head is on the bare concrete and he's just yeah. sleeping right there. And I thought, oh my God, this song is like a lie. Like, who's he leaning on? Like, who is who can he lean on right now? He's not leaning on anyone. He's leaning on the concrete. Like, he's just on the concrete. And it just popped my bubble. And I went home and I said, you know what? Some of us during this pandemic, we do have some people to lean on. We have family or we have close friends or somebody that's going to help us out. But some people, they don't have anyone to lean on and uh, we could be that person. Yes. And it was a time when a lot of people were actually scaling back their offering because it was very considered very risky to go onto the streets and feed the houseless community because they might have the virus and they didn't have masks and they couldn't wash their hands and they couldn't quarantine. So it was almost like you're a crazy person to feed them at this time. So a lot of resources were peeled back and they were suffering more than anyone. Um, when any pandemic like this, I mean, the people that have the least resources, they are hurt the most. Yes. They had the least to help and support. And it made me even more want to do it. And so that time we got it together. I think we were going out once a week at that time. I got a nurse and a doctor on the volunteer staff. Um, they provide us with like full scrubs and taught us a proper a scrubbed down protocol before and afterwards. So also we wouldn't carry anything from encampments to encampments. Mm -hmm. um, very brave and we were we were going out there and we were just serving them anyway because we knew they didn't have any food they didn't have access and that's how the martha project really picked up momentum yeah. and went a very humble thing with just a few friends coming together pitching in 20 dollars to like a full-blown you know non-profit and being on the rachel ray show and like became like a whole like movement yeah. essentially yeah, yeah. What, is cr what is crazy is that homelessness you know poverty people in need they don't live far away very often in our societies they're just around the corner but we don't see them anymore and to be able to have people like you coming in and, and saying oh by the way we need to to care that's that's what we're here for it's it's beautiful yeah. it's beautiful yeah we, we're getting close to the end of the conversation but before that i have like two 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 short questions then we go to the people questionnaire the first one is that Obviously, you want to bring positive in the world. You want to make a change in this world. What would be your the three or four things that you think are very important today to think about and to do to bring those changes in that world? You know, I, I think number one is kind of put your own oxygen mask on first. I think, you know, they always say to be the change that you want to see in the mm -hmm. world. And I think that that's really powerful. I think if we all start with ourselves and um, cultivate more inner peace and more self-love and self-compassion, that naturally going to overflow into the world. And it doesn't seem like the most direct route to change. But actually, if everyone did that, I think that we would be in a good shape. Okay. Having a conscious awareness around uh, your power, I think we don't realize how powerful we are. 
it, you have and individuals have power and they have power to influence change. And sometimes because we feel defeated, we don't exercise that power. So, for example, with veganism, mm -hmm. we really have this concept of uh, voting, voting with our dollar. And some of these practices with like factory farming and things like this, they are incredibly toxic for the planet. Yes. They're very toxic for the yes. environment. We don't vote with our dollar by purchasing and supporting those companies. And everybody has voting power with their dollars. So if you recognize that and you make more conscious choices and you don't let manufacturers get away with putting toxic ingredients in your food um, by supporting them mm -hmm. or the things that are in the toxic wrappers that are hurting the environment like really exercising your power of choice and recognizing that every time you make a purchase you're voting with your dollar i think that's something so powerful that everyone can start making shifts like literally tomorrow okay and the third one the third thing i think uh, understanding uh oneness is going to make a difference like understanding that this idea of separateness that you are you over there and I'm me and it's my life and it's your life. Like understanding that interconnectivity, which is like the nature of things, which is why it's like I share about how I help the houseless. Like if you think that houseless people are separate from you, you don't realize that energetically that's affecting you every day just because you don't see it. Mm -hmm. We're in this together and i feel like we, we we're not all nobody's moving on until we're all moving on right so it's like we're all gonna cross some sort of imaginary finish line together not separately so recognizing oneness and that starts to make shifts in your day-to-day -day life and uh okay. I, I think the last last thing really is just can you like shine where you're planted I, I, I think that's it. Like, you know, someone asked me recently, like, oh, what do you want to be known for when you die or whatever? And uh, I, I, it's just really just like that I left a positive impact on the people that I interact with. It's so understanding that in a way, if we think of like, what's God or what's the power of God, like, like the, the, the power of love or the power to have a positive impact. And we all have access to that power. So like today, literally, if you just go to the grocery store, and you're having interaction with that teller, you have God power in that moment to either make that person's day better or make it worse just by how you're choosing to interact with them. That is so much power. Mm -hmm. And you could choose that, okay, you know what, today, everyone that I interact with, I, I want to have a positive effect. I want to, I want them to have been, uh, had a better moment because we interface, not worse. Mm. And I think energetic shift, it's like, creating a chain effect of positivity and you're paying it forward and people start to respond to you differently. And I, I think that's that's a really powerful thing. No, beautiful. Beautiful. And a fifth one I'd say I'd say hydration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hydrate every day. Very important. Two liters minimum. <laughs> minimum. I don't yeah. know, gallons, I think it's like four gallons a day or something like that. Four gallons, a lot more than people realize that they need, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, before we go to the people questionnaire, one last question. How do you see the next years? Mm, for, for, for the collective, for everybody. No, for you. Oh, for me? Yes. You were asking me to make some sort of like, you know, universal prediction. No, no, no. Um, I'm talking about is it like a personal thing. What, what, how do you see yourself in the next few years? I see this show. I see selling this show and having it be very successful and being able to travel um, and create this show. 
And I see myself stepping into my healer more, taking on more private clients. Um, I've been doing these amazing three-day deep dive immersions with people where I'm working one-on-one and um, really getting a download around their psychology. And I'm working with a therapist and supervision to co- to create like something very special for them. And I see myself flying out to like do these deep dives. And uh, I see more books coming out mm-hmm. and are merging my expertise, like sharing special recipes with parts of my spiritual journey and my 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 um, awakening in that right. And mm. I see a lot a lot more laughter and joy, like celebration. Oh, oh beautiful, beautiful! We can wish you all the all the beautiful success and all the beautiful laughters and happiness coming up. Uh, it was Thanks. wonderful to to to, and we're really blessed to hear your journey um well wow yeah i'm I'm sure the audience is going to love that uh (laughs) now on a lighter note the the famous people questionnaire so as i said it's the first thing that comes to your mind there's no right or wrong answers if there are any questions you don't feel like answering it's okay are you ready i'm ready okay what's your favorite word joy what's your least favorite word evil (laughs) what's your favorite virtue I think compassion. What's your favorite quality in a woman? Oh, uh, tenderness. What's your favorite quality in a man? Gentleness. What dish or ingredient would you use to describe yourself? Chiso. Oh, nice. Chiso. Yeah, it's... uh, It's a bit peppery. Yeah. It's something different, you know? It's like it's a mint, but it's also like a little bit has a floral, but then the texture is like interesting in your mouth. Like it's it's got that soft, almost fuzzy, but not too weird. The complexity of it. Yeah. yeah. So, so it describes you. I think so. I think so. Oh, nice. Nice. What aroma yeah. or smell do you love? I'm obsessed with geranium. Beautiful. What is your, and there's no beeping, uh, where I don't beep on this show. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, so it's not going to get beeped out? I don't no, beep I anything. Love, I'm in Lebanon. I love, <laughs> fuck, for sure. I fuck is so fun. I, I bet everybody says that, like, right? It's just, it can be for anything. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a, it is a, it is a classic. <laughs> classic. Yeah, I feel unoriginal in the bad, but it's amazing. <laughs> yes. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, I, I, I love, I love actually the sound of birds chirping, these higher frequencies. Mm-hmm. And I also have these noises that you make with your tongue that. Yes. I love that. I love that. And there's some artists that they do entire songs that they're doing it with their mouth. Yes. I'm like, my mind is blown by that. I'm like, what are you guys doing? How? Nice. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, it's the, it's the, um, it's those, um, high tone screeches that they make in those horror films to, I mean, literally, your body has a response. You get these goosebumps that, yes. oh, I can't, I can't. Uh, what plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? Mm, a whale. <laughs> nice. I would love to be a whale. And if I was going to be a plant, I would be a flower. I think a peony. Hmm. Very seasonal for a short time, but very celebrated while they're here. So it's a good gig. If heaven exists... What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome home, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole Dersway, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Such an honor. So beautiful to meet you and to talk with you. 